When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. Just a word before we begin. This episode includes racially offensive language. YouTube, where you go for Australian videos on World War II aeroplanes, POV movies of the great roller coaster rides, and Harry Kane's greatest goals. And if the algorithm catches you in a particular way, a glimpse of something really horrible. I've never heard such relentless vitriol. One of my colleagues at The Times has been looking into this and uncovering the latest iteration of fascism in Britain. They were founded just before the lockdown. We were all confined to our homes with very little to do apart from look at screens. You're listening to Stories of Our Times from The Times and The Sunday Times. I'm David Aronovich. In the first of a two-part podcast, we look at Britain's new far right. Today, part one, a lockdown creation. I'm Dominic Kennedy, and I'm Investigations Editor at The Times. I've been doing that for 18 years. How do you decide what you're going to look at? There's a, a combination of really my editors suggesting this or that topic that might be of interest, but quite often people will get in touch and say, I know this or that, why don't you look into it? Certainly since last year I've been looking into a far-right group which is called Patriotic Alternative. They've largely sprung up during lockdown, and I've been focusing on an extremely racist YouTuber who is obsessive about keeping his identity anonymous and seems to survive on YouTube despite his vicious racism, which even embraces Nazi ideology. Because I go back a bit, Dominic, I remember the National Front and the British National Party even went out to Welshpool to interview their leader at the time, Nick Griffin, and then other subsequent far-right forces and so on. Who were patriotic alternative? Because they didn't exist then. They were created during 2019. Their leader and founder is Mark Collett, the former youth leader of the British National Party. And in fact, about 20 years ago, Nick Griffin predicted that one day 
Mark Collett would be the leader of the far right. He's got the potential to be one of the very, very top. Some people are uh, uh, like a comet that does a huge amount and is very visible for a, a year or so. Other people are still here in 20 years' time. I have a hunch that Mark will still be here in 20 years' time. And that turned out to be true. Collett, you say he was the youth leader of the BMP, but where's he from? What's his biography? Well, he's from Leicestershire. He was privately educated and he went to Leeds University and graduated in business studies. I'd say that he was the most chronicled far-right leader that there's been in Britain since Oswald Mosley. And the reason I'd say that is because the BNP around the turn of the century, the British National Party, the youth leader of the BNP was a magnet for documentary makers. So Russell Brand came along and did a documentary about Mark Collett in which Russell Brand called him Nazi boy and taunted him and really made his life hell until Mark Collett literally ran away. The other documentary that was made about him was much more serious. It was a fly-on-the-wall documentary. His party claims to have shed its fascist past. Now it's winning unprecedented support. But what does the rising star of the British National Party really think? A journalist followed Mark Collett around for a long time, keeping his recording equipment on when Mark thought it was switched off. And he managed to catch Mark unwittingly praising Hitler. National Socialism was the best solution for German people back in the 1930s. It's not the solution for British people in 2002. When people say, do you take any inspiration from that? I mean, I honestly can't understand how a man, yeah, who's seen the inner city hell of Britain today, can't look back on that era with a certain nostalgia. But there he was, big cheese in the BMP. Nick Griffin has said he's going to be a future leader, but then he isn't. One of Nick Griffin's closest allies has been sacked from the far-right British National Party amid accusations of an attempted coup. The BMP fell apart after the 2010 general election. Mark Collett ceased to be an ally of Nick Griffin, and he really disappeared from the scene for many years. Then he suddenly reappeared in 2016, around the time of the Brexit referendum. And from then on, you begin to see that he's planning a comeback. What since the BNP? What's been the landscape of the far right in Britain since then? After the demise of the BNP, the far right really was dominated by the English Defence League, which is the group whose leader was Tommy Robinson. The English Defence League was very football hooligan based. It wasn't a political party. It was really a punch-up looking for somewhere to happen. Let's talk about the size of the far right in the country now. Now, when I was in my early 20s, the National Front could mobilise big demonstrations. And I was there as a counter-protester at some of the big ones, notably Lewisham in 1977. It was a big thing. And they were very present on the streets and so on. How would you compare the far right in the country right now with the far right as it was then and as it developed? I think the most important thing is the generational difference. I was recently looking into the memoir of an undercover customs officer 
and he was based in the East End of London during the 1990s. And he said that the pub where he was working as an undercover operative was a British National Party pub. And people would come in there, locals would come in. It was based, the BNP was based around the pub locally. They would complain about all these Asians coming over here and hand out flyers and that type of thing. I just cannot see a group like Patriotic Alternative being based around a pub. These are millennials and Generation Z people. They largely live on screens. And that's where Patriotic Alternative has managed to build up its support using phones and laptops and so on. Now, that's a really interesting point because it may well be then the implication that you're suggesting is that you experience them in the most violent way, not in street demonstrations and great brawls, but with the lone wolf who takes the logic of what's on the internet out into the world. Mark Collett doesn't like demonstrations, and the BNP didn't do demonstrations, and Mark Collett has learned his tricks from the BNP. Now, Patriotic Alternative has started to make a presence at certain events. They will go along to a refugee centre or proposed refugee centre, and they'll bring their banners with them and loud hailer and start to make speeches. So they are becoming an intimidating presence, but not in numbers on the streets. Now, Mark Collett set up a patriotic alternative in 2019, and you have actually met him, haven't you? Uh, what was that like? That's right. I wanted to meet him, interview him, and put some points to him. And we arranged to meet at a business hotel in Leeds, uh, he was really nervous. We spoke by text before the meeting and I told him what the room was where we were going to have our discussion. And I said, we have got this room. And he immediately texted back and said, who's we? I said, we is you and me. I don't know if he thought I had the police waiting with me. Anyway... It was a pretty straightforward interview for me to put some facts to him, put some points to him, check my facts. And the longer it went on, the more relaxed Mark Collett became, to be honest. As a newspaper reporter, these kind of interviews tend to be long, detailed. It's not like a TV broadcast interview, which tends to have an element of confrontation to it. Can you talk us through the ethics of interviewing somebody with such extreme views? Well, it's an assignment. So as a reporter, I don't have the luxury of saying, I'm too virtuous to speak to this or that person. I speak to everybody, however pleasant or unpleasant they may be. And an important point about reporting on the far right, though, is that they want publicity on their terms. So you must always think when you're interviewing them and writing about them, don't fall into the trap mm. of amplifying their publicity stunts. Keep control of the situation. Decide what you want to find out and write that. Would you say he is actually patriotic alternative from the point of view of creating policy and so on? He's the founder. Patriotic alternative is really an emanation of Mark Collett. And He's an admirer of Hitler. 
the proposed constitution for patriotic alternative made it clear that the leader was in charge. He believes in the Führer. What's his big theory? They have become very quickly the main proponents in Britain of what's known as the Great Replacement Theory. This idea, it's a conspiracy theory, this idea is that white European people were deliberately being replaced and displaced by immigrants from Africa and the Middle East with darker skins, and that this was being organised by an elite. And, of course, they say that the elite is the Jews, or, as they would say, the Zionists. The main bait that Patriotic Alternative uses to get people to join it and to be interested is the Great Replacement. And they are very fixated on the year 2066, which they say is the year when white people will become a minority in Britain. They're obsessed with the idea of 2066, and they use that in their marketing material to get people in. There's a clock ticking down on their website, the seconds until 2066. And there's another word that they use, another phrase they use for the Great Replacement, which is white genocide. And that's particularly disturbing if you're thinking about whether people might decide to take action to their own hands. We've just gone through this period of lockdown and the pandemic when a lot of people essentially took to their computers and we've heard about how conspiracy theories can often grow when people are atomised and next to their computers. How can we assess how they've grown and how many supporters they have? Well, they have sometimes used a figure of 15,000 and suggested that's how many supporters that they have. At best, I think that might be the number of people who might have gone on their mailing list or something like that. They don't have 15,000 supporters. At their annual summer camps, they will get about 170 people coming along to the Peak District to spend a weekend camping with Patriotic Alternative. They must be hardcore activists to go and spend a weekend with them. People who've monitored have noticed that some of the key figures haven't gone. So you're going to be talking about several hundred people who are actually activists with patriotic alternative so far. While investigating Mark Collett and patriotic alternative, Dominic came across a YouTuber who was using a pseudonym to hide his true identity. As well he might. I was listening to a lot of far-right live streams and shows that they put out, and these are on fringe websites and maybe surprisingly they're not hard to listen to because there's very little about policy because they're a fringe part of society they're always falling out with each other (laughs) what they're doing most of the time is just bitching about each other they have a name for it they call it drama or eastenders listening to them bitching about each other is quite easy ayatollah is completely different ayatollah The name of the fellow is the Ayatollah, and that's the bogus name that he gives to himself to hide his identity. So I'm listening to this channel, it's called the Ayatollah. Good evening. Welcome to Friday Night Dinner number 57. It's 
aligned to patriotic alternative. And what he's saying is really dreadful. You see this with, with like English bugmen or American football, you know, just Negro worship, basically. I only was listening to him because I was looking at this phenomenon of uh, young men, like students and graduates, who were attracted to Mark Collis' movement. It stuck in my mind how unpleasant he was and very different he was to most of the far-right content producers. So he's angry, and who are his targets? He's really having a go at Jewish people and black people. Dominic spent hours listening to the Ayatollah's channel and has encountered all sorts of appalling racism there. But we're not going to play the worst of it on this podcast. He says Jews are responsible for all of their persecutions down the ages. People in this country wouldn't have enjoyed getting the shit bombed out of them by the Luftwaffe and losing their sons to the Wehrmacht and the SS. He says Hitler was right. But would they have been better off had that gone the other way? Well, we all know the answer to that. We'd be better off if Hitler had won the Second World War. Now, what exactly are these YouTube videos? I mean, are they actual shows? Do you actually see him? Does he appear on them? Or are they podcasts? They take the format of a kind of a chat show with the Ayatollah as the host. And he will bring on guests and talk with them. He does them now several times a week, maybe three times a week. And they go on and on. He will talk for four or five hours on these shows, putting out his uh, various different types of hatreds. On the particular show that I listened to, he was mocking the Labour MP, David Lammy, for saying that he was English. And then he went on to say that David Lammy was a Jewish agent. In other programmes I've listened to by Ayatollah, he talks about our uncle. He means Hitler. We know that a lot, you know, ultimately our uncle got elected into power, didn't he? So there you go. One of the most terrible things that he's done is that he rails against miscegenation. Miscegenation. I had to look it up. It's not a concept that we've grown up with. It involves the theory or the concept of people supposedly of different races mixing their blood. This will be, in law, would result in a ban in marriage between people of different colours. So essentially, miscegenation is race mixing which, as we know, was actually illegal in some states of America under the segregation rules and was also made illegal for Jews and Gentiles in Germany. And so he's against mixed marriages and mixed race people coming into existence. Yeah, and he's not only against it, he is obsessed with Christmas advertisements and the fact that in Christmas advertisements you'll get couples from different races or you might get a family where the older family members are clearly of different races. And he can't stand that. I feel safe enough in assuming that you're all sick to death of the perpetual background noise of vulgarity, degeneracy, and the seemingly never-ending promotion of race mixing. He actually, at Christmas one year, launched a campaign and he urged his followers to get onto YouTube, find these Christmas advertisements, he pointed them out, the ones that he wanted to target, and post as much bile as they could about the mixing of the races in these jolly Christmas adverts 
I looked up the adverts. One of them has had comments disabled. The other one was just taken down. So we think one of these ads was actually taken down because of the campaign he launched against it, or might have been. You can't see it. It's a advertisement for jewellery. It seems from the little picture that he put up that maybe the couple was a white man and a black woman or a black man and a white woman. I think with these things, people get to subscribe, don't they? They actually click a button so that they get notified of when anything comes up from that person, the Ayatollah's channel. How many subscribers does he have? He's got just over 4,000 subscribers. You don't have to subscribe to watch a show. The channel has clocked up nearly 500,000 views in just over two years. Now, why does he call himself Ayatollah? I mean, after all, if you're a notorious racist, maybe Ayatollah isn't the most obvious moniker for you to choose. And Ayatollah is quite an intimidating figure. The Ayatollahs took over Iran after the Iranian revolution. Some of the things that the leadership did there was quite scary. Also, it's uh, somebody who lays down the kind of the truth according to almost supernatural forces. So maybe he thinks he's that too. You talked earlier about patriotic alternative. Is he a supporter of theirs? Is he a member, a leader? What is he? Well, they're not a membership organisation, so he's not a member. He's clearly affiliated and aligned with patriotic alternative, and he's been going to their events, their camps and conferences basically since... It was started in embryonic form. How much time have you spent listening to his live streams? Well, his live streams go on for four hours, and there may be several a week, and my employers would not be very happy if I sat listening to YouTube all day and said I was working. So I volunteered that I would listen to his YouTube shows in my spare time, and I have spent every evening and every weekend when I have some time listening to the Ayatollah's live streams. What was that like? I mean, just for you, what was that like? It's absolutely awful. I've never heard such relentless vitriol. You just want to clean out your ears. Now you can guess what my next question is going to be. Here you are, listening to the most terrible stuff on YouTube. So the next question is, how the hell is he still on YouTube? Exactly. This is YouTube. And it has two billion viewers. It's the main place for videos on the internet. And it claims to have policies. It's put in a very sort of California way of like, um, we're going to try and prevent harm to our users. But they're supposed to have policies against racial hate speech. And they may have these policies. They clearly are not operating them because he's there. YouTube doesn't allow anything that might be sexually titillating. So... You've got no nudes, you've got no nipples, but it's yes to Nazis. Now, this is interesting because I would have imagined that they had ways of filtering out rampant hate speech. So what's going on? 
After a while, I noticed, I was making notes on the things that he was saying, and I noticed that he he made remarks about different minorities, but he wouldn't necessarily name them. In fact, he rarely says the words Jew or black. What he will say instead is... Okay, when, when a certain group of people who look white but aren't... People who look white but aren't, or... People who are enjoying a big dinner tonight, it'd be Friday night and he's referring to the Jewish Sabbath dinner, instead of saying Jews, and then he'll say something vitriolic. Or he will use an obscure term, we see it in this country as well, of of this sort of negrophilia. Like negrophilia. And then talk about black people in a disparaging way. I began to wonder if what's going on here is that he's worked out that YouTube uses artificial intelligence and that he is gaming the system by not saying words that are going to trigger the AI. So he doesn't use the N-word, though he means it, he'd want to. He doesn't use the Y-word, though he means it and might want to. He's always got some form of euphemism on the go. He's very dedicated to using these euphemisms. So what did you do to check that that was indeed what he was doing? I did get in touch with a couple of guys who spend a lot of time looking into this. In a moment, we'll find out if Dominic's hunch was correct. White supremacist movements in the United States and even in the UK, right, and using YouTube as a platform to spread their message. But first... I'm Mehreen Khan, economics editor of The Times. My job involves covering an extraordinary period for the world and UK economy, where central bankers and governments are contending with runaway inflation, the pandemic and a war in Europe. We can only do this thanks to the subscribers of The Times and The Sunday Times. Subscribe today by visiting thetimes.co.uk forward slash stories of our times. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax and think about work you really really want it all to work out while you're away monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind when all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync things just flow wherever you are tap the banner to go to monday.com hey i'm ryan reynolds at mint mobile we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does they charge you a lot we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. (laughs) 
So, Dominic suspected this racist YouTuber calling himself Ayatollah was gaming the system, using coded language to get around AI filters on YouTube. He put his suspicions to a couple of experts in this field. My name's Chris Jones. Works for a human rights organisation in the United States. The other is... I'm Eric, and I'm the co-founder of Redditube. Which is a tool that you can use to check up on these extremists online. They also analyse who is connected to who because there is this huge far-right subculture on YouTube. And very interestingly, they've worked out that with the Ayatollah, a large proportion of the Ayatollah's followers are also following American far-right extremists and activists. So what did Chris and Eric tell you? We know that it's very easy to get around YouTube's current content moderation when it comes to hate speech and white supremacist content. One of the big issues with artificial intelligence for extremism is that it's based on machine learning. And for machine learning, you need to start picking up on patterns. And since extremism is so fluid and it changed so much over time, it's quite difficult. They say that the hunch was basically correct. That's exactly what they've seen when they're looking at white supremacist groups in the US. I would say a good chunk of, of what we do uh, when, we, when we work together is tracing these code words and these phrases across YouTube. They understand that most of the YouTube content is moderated by artificial intelligence filters, although stuff does get then flagged and listened to by real humans. But even then, do they know what they're listening to? Hmm. Chris is an expert in monitoring extremism, so he knows the dog whistles and the codes. If I go around and just start flagging YouTube videos, right, and I'm like, yep, that's extremism, yep, that's extremism, yep, this is anti-Semitism, and then that goes in front of an employee at YouTube who doesn't understand a reference to anti-Semitism, that's not going to get flagged, it's not going to get taken down. Well, I think this is a really important point, isn't it? Which is, you won't get that many people who necessarily understand the coded language some people are using and the ai artificial intelligence will have a filter to pick up specific words which this guy is not using that seems to be what ayatollah has worked out and what people on the far right generally seem to know let's remind ourselves who youtube is owned by well it's owned by alphabet which is also google so actually, what we're dealing with is a company here which is certainly one of the biggest, the most sophisticated users of AI and filtering mechanisms and algorithms anywhere in the world. Yes, and they're, they're one of the most powerful and rich companies in, on the planet. Right. Do you feel that they are to blame for this? It's wholly their responsibility. They know what's going on. They don't need reminding, but they are reminded of what's happening. Social media giants have been criticised for doing nowhere near enough to tackle online hate crime and terrorist propaganda. MPs have accused the tech companies of putting profits before public safety on their sites. Just in the UK, the Home Affairs Select Committee a few years ago did an inquiry, a very thorough inquiry into hate online and really admonished YouTube for its failures. I've 
been associated with an organization called Index on Censorship, a free speech organization. And free speech organizations actually get worried about over-surveillance. So one of the contrary arguments which can be put is that so many items are posted, millions and millions and millions onto YouTube and other channels, that if you have filters, automatic filters, which work at the level that would filter them all out, essentially, you'd also end up censoring an awful lot of other material as well. Do you find that argument in any way convincing? It is convincing, but the fact is that YouTube doesn't have to operate as it does. I mean, it puts out an infinite amount of material that is uploaded to it. It's obviously going to be impossible for human beings to check that properly. They don't have to work by that business model, but if they do work by that business model, then they need to take some responsibility for what is online. And YouTube do the minimum. They tend to demonetize the extremists' websites. So they're not making money out of it, but they're definitely saving money by not policing it properly. What they will say is they'll wait for until somebody says a bad word or says a bad thing, and then they might admonish them and take down their site or discipline them in some way. But what they don't do is to see the bigger picture, although they know it's there. Has Ayatollah been the subject of complaint or sanctions from YouTube? That first video of Ayatollah that I came across, in which he said that David Lammy was a Jewish agent, that was left online for months. And now it's disappeared. And they've said it's been disappeared because it breaches their hate speech policy. Right. So in other words, they must have had a human being looking at that complaint. We don't know for sure, but they probably did. But that same person or that organisation did not then see fit to look at the other videos and say, well, actually, does this apply to the other ones? Or they did look at them and decided they didn't apply it to the other ones. That is obviously should be a red flag that he's calling a member of parliament a Jewish agent and mocking him for saying that he's English when he's a black MP. They could easily say, what is the other 700 hours of his programming that we are putting out? Is that okay? How could they have just left it up? Now, I presume, well, if I know for sure that you've put this to YouTube, what did they say? Yeah, we put these matters to YouTube and they denied allowing race hate on their platform. And they said they do have policies in place to tackle hate speech and extremism. They also said that they remove videos which promote hatred against protected individuals or groups, including the Jewish community. And then on moderation, looking out for language, that type of thing. They say they do have people around the world who detect and review content that violates their policies. Dom, we come back to Patriotic Alternative. You think that they've actually, far from going away, they've, if anything, grown over the last two or three years. Why would you think that was? The timing has been amazing for them because they were founded in embryonic form with a few meetings and so on in 2019, just before the lockdown, when we were all 
put under house arrest, confined to our homes with very little to do apart from look at screens. So they're able to develop an interest with this captive audience in their very early days. And then... The first time we are seeing the moments leading up to the arrest of George Floyd. Newly released videos from the body... The murder of George Floyd happens in America. There were the Black Lives Matter demonstrations. They see the opportunity to reap a backlash and to encourage a backlash against that movement. And it was during the Black Lives Matter demonstrations that Patriotic Alternative put itself onto a real footing and registered itself as a company. They have adopted very opportunistically the slogan White Lives Matter. Let's look at where we've got to. You've met and interviewed Mark Hollett, reported on Patriotic Alternative. This is this kind of Nazi far-right group. You've had to listen to this horrible stuff online for hours at a time from this guy who calls himself Ayatollah. And that's where you've got to, and then something happens. In February this year, I was on holiday and I was contacted out of the blue by someone who said they thought they had identified this racist YouTuber, the Ayatollah, and had a name for him. They suspected that he lives in a village in Middle England and was a sports journalism graduate. So I set about seeing if I could stand this up. That's all coming up in part two tomorrow. He proceeded to demonstrate his put-on London accent and explain how he adjusted his mild West Midlands accent to disguise his identity. It was an immediate match. It's the same voice. The Times? Yes. What is it about? You've been listening to Stories of Our Times, a podcast brought to you thanks to subscribers of The Times and The Sunday Times, with me, David Aronovich, and my guest investigations editor at The Times, Dominic Kennedy. You can read Dominic's investigations at thetimes.co.uk with a subscription or in print. And a link to his investigation into patriotic alternative is in the description notes of this podcast. The producers today were Will Rowe and Edward Drummond. The executive producer is Kate Ford. And sound design was by David Crackles. See you for part two tomorrow. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. 
No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.